chapter 11, we read verses 17 through 26. John 11, 17 through 26. When Jesus had arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, some two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Friends, this is... If you weren't awake, you are now. Hey, Barney, is your hearing aids turned up up there? Exactly. Woo. I can't top that one, y'all. <laughs> uh. Always rely on Clyde. Let's pray. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, as scripture is read, as word is proclaimed, help us hear with joy what you say to us this day in your name. Amen. So today we conclude our worship series on the study of the Apostles' Creed, where we have been going through the different sayings uh, and the foundational statements that are contained therein. And as a final reminder this week, the word creed is a word that is from the Latin, is the word credo, and it just means simply, I believe. And so a creed is a set of I believe statements that is an idea or set of beliefs that guide the actions of a person or a group. And so for us as Christians, the Apostles' Creed is important because the beliefs expressed in the Apostles' Creed are foundational for us to claim the name Christian. For us to be followers of Christ, these statements are foundational to who we are, to whose we are, to what we proclaim and to why we proclaim it. Today we conclude our worship series with, I believe, in the resurrection of the body. So there's a town in France, um, and it is the town of Le Lavendieu. Stereotypical French name, right? Le Lavendieu. You gotta get, you gotta add the dieu at the end if you not don't know the French. Um, and, and, and they, several years ago, passed a law barring any more burials in the town cemetery because the cemetery was full. And so the law said, this is the quoting law, it says, it is forbidden without a cemetery plot to die on the territory of the commune. <laughs> Much to, I'm sure, their chagrin, the law didn't stop people from dying. 19 people died since they passed that law and are awaiting burial in someone else's borrowed plots. 
folks, there's only one law against dying that really works. And that is the law of the resurrection. Can I get an amen? So let's begin, if we're going to talk about death, let's begin by asking the ultimate question that we have been asking for years. Perhaps one that we've been trying to understand as year, for years. And that is the question, what happens to us when we die? Tough subject, right? We're going to address and talk about some things today. So strap in and get ready because here we go. So the question then, what happens to us when we die, doesn't simply ask what happens to our bodies. It asks, more importantly, where, whether any part of us continues to live after our bodies die. So, so the deeper question is, is there something more? Is this it, or is there uh, an afterlife? Is there something beyond these mortal bodies? You know, there are numerous ideas about the afterlife, right? <laughs> uh, just ask different people from different backgrounds, and you'll probably get a different answer for every single one. But here's the thing. Everything about the afterlife is speculative, right? Because there's no way to experiment and then report back. Think about it for a moment. Even in the United Methodist Church, we have no concrete stance on the afterlife. This is the one statement on the afterlife that we find in our book of discipline under our theological tasks and statements of doctrine, beliefs, and faith. It says this, We all stand under the righteous judgment of Jesus Christ, both now and in the last day. We believe in the resurrection of the dead, the righteous to life eternal, and the wicked to endless condemnation. That is it. In United Methodist Doctrine on the afterlife. So let's work our way through time a little bit and see kind of how a belief in the afterlife has evolved. So the ancient Hebrews did not speak a lot about surviving after death. They did not speak about the realm. But they did, although, speak about the realm of the dead, and it was a place that they called Sheol. Have you heard of, of the reference to the term Sheol? S-H-E-O-L. We'll see more, that more in a little bit. So, and it, they referenced the place Sheol, where it appears that they believed that the dead continued in some state. Toward the end of the Old Testament period, we find the beginning of a more expanded understanding of the afterlife. The idea uh, in the period between the Old and, and the New Testaments, the idea of the resurrection of the dead and, and an afterlife became more prominent. I've I got a diagram that we're going to re reference here as we kind of move forward. Hopefully you can see that. Can you all see that okay? Good. It blew up and I can still read it. <laughs> you all can still read it. Good. So th this diagram shows um, how some Jews in the time of Jesus may have imagined the afterlife and, and, and what they would follow, <clears throat> and, and it shaped um, future understandings. So as shown here, you see the realm of the dead, Sheol, also referred to as Hades by the ancient Jews, also referred to as Hades. And that had two distinct areas place called paradise 
where the righteous dead were sent, and the place called Tartarus, also called Gehenna. Perhaps you've heard it referred to as Gehenna, the Valley of the Dead. Um, and that is the place where the wicked were sent, the wicked dead. But the beliefs were consignments of the dead to paradise or to Tartarus was not final. At some point, the dead would be raised again and a final judgment would take place. Sounding more like the belief that we grew up hearing about. Jesus, Paul, some of the other apostles taught that there would be a final judgment, which we which was called the great white throne of judgment, at which time those in both realms of the dead would be brought before the judgment seat of Christ. Some would be granted eternal life in heaven and sent to the abode of God, the presence of God in heaven. One of the best questions you get from children is where is heaven located? The only way to answer that question is to say, well, it's in the abode of God. It's in the presence of God. That's a loaded answer, isn't it? We don't have time to go into that. And others, uh, and, and those granted eternal life in the presence of God in heaven receive a new resurrection body, while the others would be cast into the realm of, quote, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, the lake of fire, also called the abode of Satan, the presence of evil, eternal evil. According to this view then, after death, both the righteous and the unrighteous enter the realm of the dead. The righteous to paradise, the unrighteous to Tartarus or to Gehenna. They have not faced their final judgment then. The dead have not received the resurrection bodies, but they are very much uh, alive in theory. While this is how death seems to have been conceived by many, uh, conceived by, by many first century Jews and, and Christians, it helps uh, make sense of the very various passages in Scripture that we find. And, 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 and it helps make sense of those, but, but here is the continuing deal, folks. It all still remains speculative, right? We can each in here have a different view of the afterlife, and we could all be right and or wrong. And there's only one way to find out, and once we find out, we can't report back. So Christians have agreed and disagreed on how firmly this view is required by Scripture, and how accurate this may or, or may not be. But this is a diagram to give you an understanding, an early understanding of the afterlife. There are differences of interpretation on the relevant text of Scripture um, uh, related to this view, but... Um, this chart then is helpful, I know it was helpful for me, uh, at least when seeking to make sense of the assumptions and beliefs behind some of those New Testament passages related to death and the afterlife. And, and, and all this is great, right? And, and all the texts that we have are great, all the charts we have are great, but here, here's, the, here's the real question. Does God give a definitive answer on the afterlife? No head nods on that one. I usually see some who will say, oh, yeah, yeah, or some go, no. We even got Clyde stunned this morning. <laughs> I've got 
got no obvious response from him this morning. Does God give a definitive answer on the afterlife? Are you ready? Everybody lean in forward. Combined with the affirmation that we make earlier in the Apostles' Creed about Jesus, we believe that in Jesus' death and in Jesus' resurrection, God does give a definitive answer to the existential questions of death and life beyond death. What does that mean? We believe in life beyond death because Jesus rose from the dead. The disciples bore witness to Jesus' resurrection. And those who came later had profound experiences with the risen Christ. We have documented evidence of that. Jesus' death and resurrection were, in part, God's way of speaking to the deepest and most fundamental crisis that we all face, not only of ours, but of those whom we love, the human fundamental crisis of death. My favorite phrase in the Apostles' Creed is this, it says, on the third day, he what? He rose again. That is the climactic phrase in all of Christendom. That is the pinnacle of Christianity. That phrase right there. Folks, as important as Jesus' death is for Christians, it was Jesus' resurrection that demonstrated his triumph, his victory over sin, over evil, and even over death. As Jesus said in John, because I live, you also shall live. We revisit theologian Paul Tillich this morning in a quote that he said, Paul Tillich said, the face of every man shows the trace of the presence of death in his life, of his fear of death, of his courage toward death, and of his resignation to death. This frightful presence of death subjects man to bondage and servitude all his life. Ponder on that quote for a moment. How true is it? Lives are built around death. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, though, is God's answer to the frightful presence of death. And in one great act on Easter Sunday morning many, many years ago, Christ liberated believers from the bondage and the servitude of death. 
that first Easter, the disciples remained in hiding. They had not yet seen Jesus. They did not expect his resurrection from the grave. If there's one thing I've learned as a Christian, with God, expect the unexpected, right? Praise God for that. (laughs) They had not yet seen Jesus. They did not expect the resurrection. When the women came announcing that Jesus had been raised, the disciples thought the women were out of their minds. Then suddenly, he appeared to them. Do you know what he said first to them when he appeared to them? Peace be with you. Peace be with you. In this simple statement, Jesus was expressing in part what his resurrection and the promise of life eternal means to all of us. By conquering death, Jesus addressed our fear and uncertainty and offered his first disciples and offers us a peace that sustains even in the face of great tragedy and immense pain. Folks, Jesus conquered death so that we don't have to fear it. Jesus conquered death so we don't have to be bondage to it. Jesus conquered death for us. And death, even for us, will never have the final say. So let's look at the phrase specifically now that we've set the stage for it. Let's look at the phrase resurrection of the body. Anybody else have, a, have an issue with the, the language of the wording? Have you ever taken issue with that particular way that they worded that? And you wonder why they would word it. Because you know, I don't know about you, but, but I was always taught that it was the soul that leaves the body at death. Are you with me now? So uh, th- this body is an earthly flesh. This body stays behind. In fact, our bodies start the process of decomposition immediately right after we die. And that just sparks questions that go on for days. The resurrection of the body? What about the people who died years ago? What about their bodies? Is it really these bodies that are resurrected? I don't know about you, but I hope not. I hope not. I've enjoyed this body, but it is subject to pro- uh, uh, it is uh, prone to sickness, to pain, and to gumbo. So I hope it is not this body. And if somehow this body is resurrected, at what age is it resurrected? Oh boy. (laughs) Will I see my family members as I knew them? Will they be seen as other people knew them? Will they look the way they did in earlier life, in, in a later life? In which case, will I recognize them? Will I know who they are? How many other questions do you have? It just goes on, right? We won't spend all the time, but, but here is some, some, some good news today. When we read about Jesus' resurrection, okay, here's, here's the setup. What is the first thing you notice about Jesus' body upon his resurrection? His body has been transformed. His body has 
change. Mary Magdalene, the first to see him, did not recognize him and thought he was who? The gardener. That's right. They thought he was the gardener. The two disciples walking to Emmaus thought he was a stranger. When his followers gathered around him just before he ascended to heaven, some of them did not even recognize his appearance because that was the first time they had seen him. Yes, he had the ability to eat. There were scars from his crucifixion in his arms and in his feet and on his side. He had flesh that they could touch. But he also walked through walls. These appearances by Jesus may give us pieces of the puzzle regarding what our life and our bodies in heaven might be like. It's nothing but just a glimpse. Folks, what I love about the idea of the resurrection of the body and what the images of Jesus after his resurrection give us is that one day we will not be some disembodied spirit after death but instead we will have a glorious body that isn't subject to disease that isn't subject to pain that isn't subject to gumbo but is subject to Glory. No more aches. Can you imagine? You know, one of my favorite scriptures of all time is Revelation 21. You want to know why? Because it says this. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away and the one who is seated on the throne said see I am making all things new if Jesus' appearance following his resurrection are any guide we'll be able to touch we'll be able to feel we may even be able to eat, drink, see and be yet our body will be different from anything we've ever experienced on this side of eternity our body will be a glorious one with which we, uh, with, 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 by which those who have known us in the past will know us in heaven. No matter what age it may look like, no matter how we may look like, we will know the people with us in heaven. And surely, surely God who wrote the software that makes up our life, surely the God who created our DNA has it quote, on file perhaps somewhere, whatever the case may be, can use it to create whatever kind of heavenly body that God intends for us to have. We can discuss it all that we want. We can go back and forth all that we want. But here's the assurances for us today. God does not need these mortal bodies to raise us from the dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God does not need this body subject to all the things of the earth to raise us from the dead. And you know what else? You want some more good news? We don't need these mortal bodies to have life everlasting. Hallelujah. God doesn't need these bodies in the end, and neither do you. 
That is good news today. Folks, the answers to the afterlife, we can debate those for years. Here's the, here's the good news. It doesn't matter. God's going to do what God wants to do regardless of how we debate on earth. God's going to give us the body that God wants to give us regardless of what we say on earth. It is God who will raise us from the dead. And it is God who will give us the body that God intends us to have. And we don't need this flesh to have life eternal. Therefore, even when we are at our lowest, even in our darkest moments, I don't know about you, but the words of the Apostles' Creed is what holds me together. The words of the Apostles' Creed is what holds us together. It helps us remember God's answers to the deepest questions and longings and, and desires and wounds of our hearts and of our minds. It reminds us of what is true. It reminds us of who we are. It reminds us of whose we are. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator. I created. It captures many of our foundational convictions. On the third day, He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. It is the pinnacle of who we are. And on these beliefs, we can claim the name Christian. Beloved child of God. And you know what else the Apostles' Creed does? It gives us hope. It gives us absolute hope that this world and all that it tries to give and to offer and to provide and to bring down will never have the final say. Because we serve a God that is good that is good all the time. And we know that we have an eternity with God in heaven, a God that is good. And with that great good God, that goodness will last forever. This is the gospel message, folks. This is why we echo the words of the creed every week. This is why we're called to echo them in our hearts every moment of every day. I believe.